Hey, 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 welcome into Rolling Fat. Uh, the wild card weekend of the fantasy playoffs is upon us, fellas. So let's get going. Small trade last week, as somehow that is still allowed to happen. Probably something we'll look upon changing next year or just forgetting about it until week 14 of next year and then bringing it up again and how it should and doesn't make sense and then rinse and repeat year after year and so on. Um, in order to cover himself with the strength in the first round of the playoffs, Nikki Co traded me an injured Josh Jacobs for Isaiah Likely and Aaron Jones. On my end, Jones has been a little consistent and in and out of the lineup, so not somebody I could really trust. Didn't need an extra running back at this point as well. While Likely was a late season ad um, after the Andrews injury, and he has been, you know, instantly heavily utilized. Um, but I'm hoping that, you know, trading him away, I can still use Taysom throughout the uh, final two weeks of the year. On Nicky Coe's end, he is hoping that he can you know, pick and choose his spot to play the three-headed tight end dragon of likely Goddard Schultz, also what your Jewish friend that when agnostic is called. The Aaron Jones move also provides a higher upside in the flex spot, especially after the news that A.J. Dillon's injury this week will be limiting his role for, obviously he's out this week, but also for the rest of the season. Um, broken thumb, it's hard to catch a football when you have a broken thumb. Uh, for some reason, Nikki Coe is also wasting a roster spot on a backup kicker. That is puzzling, to say the least. That trade recap was brought to you by Festivus. It's for the rest of us. Imagine, it's 8 a.m. on NFL Saturday. Yeah, you heard that right. NFL Saturday. Oops, think a little soap ran down my leg. Three pounds of bacon, a pound of scrapple, three pounds of sausage, and a pound of pork roll sitting out. Beautifully displayed as the ever-present smell of morning meats fills the air. Oh, what's that? Four more pounds of steak being pan-fried? Yes, please. The regular crowd shuffles in, and it's not even night yet. The beer starts flowing, whiskey's next. Then the discouraging words begin to pour out as if they are the next drink on tap themselves. With a belly full of meat, a damaged sense of self-worth, and glazed over drunk eyes, they take the field. In what can only be loosely described as a group of wannabe athletes, they each take their run at the ultimate prize, feats of strength champion. The king is crowned and the group returns to the day-long fever dream, typically ending in some kind of familial altercation and designated drivers pulling fellows from the house. Beauty like this is meant to be protected. Happy Festivus. And back to your regularly scheduled podcast. All right, so to recap the highlighted games of Week 14 in the NFL, oh, how it brings me joy. Such, such, such joy. Sweet joy. If you don't recall, we highlighted the Cowboys-Eagles showdown, which ended up being a good old-fashioned ass-kissing. Oh, ass-kicking. Ass-kissing, that's, you know, that's sexual. I did have pieces of this matchup correct, but the Eagles' lack of creativity and mental strength on the offensive side of the ball really put my projections in a pickle. Jalen ran only five times. I projected it to be 10-plus. I thought that was the game plan to go with there. Um, This could have been due to the early lead the boys got, but most good teams do try and stay balanced, even if they're playing from behind in the first half, You know, anywhere up to the third quarter technically, because there's still enough possessions left at that time to make it up, especially if you go pass heavy or going quick offense. The Eagles were knocked out of their projected game plan early due to a fumble on the first possession of each half. Um, as was stated, the early deficit put a serious cap on the possible outcome for Swift and Hurst as they scored 3.9 and 8.88 points respectively. The silver lining in a game where the offense didn't score a single touchdown is that A.J. Brown with 11.9, almost 12 points, and Devontae Smith with just under 8, still put up serv- 
serviceable weeks as they both could have had a few more if they didn't fumble. Um, and they both had their fair share of drops as well. Dallas did what they've been doing well lately and is putting dying dogs out of their misery. Dak fell just short of his average, but was also affected by him having a fumble of his own and conservative play calling down the stretch when the game was securely in hand. Um, I was expecting a lot more of Dak running the ball, but the Eagles did a good job of keeping him in the pocket and had three sacks to show for it as well. CD once again accounted for over a quarter of the targets and was the best fantasy player on the day with 16 plus fantasy points to continue his run of top 12 finishes to eight straight playing weeks. Um, there was a buy in the middle there, so nine weeks you know, with an eighth buy. Uh, Tony Powell was one I was off on the actual production, but was correct on how he got to be productive, if that makes any sense. He had 13 plus fantasy points with seven of those coming in the passing game and over half of his rushing attempts were to the outside. Like I said last week, he's going to see screens, short passes, and outside run zone. That all happened. Inside run did not work well for him, um, but he was actually more productive than I predicted. The other miss I had here was Gallup. um, As he's become the most frustrating player in recent Cowboys history, drops passes, runs incorrect routes, never really attacks the ball in the air, but, and a huge but, he pulls some incredible and unlikely plays out of his ass. Makes a receiver room outside of CD extremely difficult to predict for fantasy. Uh, Ferguson once again showed up, had five catches for 72 yards on eight targets, as he continues to be the reliable safety net for Dak in uh, high-pressure situations. Now to the Blunts and Cunts League. Uh, Myself first Kyle was the only game we were kind of highlighting going into the week. Just like the boys, your man had to put this dying old poon hound down for good. Coming into the week with a .0004% chance of making the playoffs, I had to end that dream. Much of that had to do with the recently traded Isaiah Likely, as well as my number two and three receivers, DJ Moore and Zay Flowers, outscoring their projected totals by a combined 28.5 points. But probably had even more to do with the fact that Tua, Najee, St. Brown, and Jefferson scored a combined 34.5 points under their projected totals for Kyle. It's a real shame, too, as I feel like Kyle's was finally getting into the Yoffs movement. Now he will just stand on the sidelines and bother himself. Yoffs are fucking stupid anyway. Who would even want to be in the fucking Yoffs? Gay ass Yoffs. With the win, I also secured the most points in the regular season for a little bit of moolah. So as I've said to myself for almost my entire Cowboys fandom history, Kyle, hey, there's always next year. Hopefully you will be able to draft your own team this time and not have that excuse built in. Um, I didn't have a second game last week to break down since so much of it was deciding on seeding between the teams. So I would just break down each game, most impactful plays, or you know how everything you know settled out from last week. First one, Jay versus Mike. Mike won one twenty seven to ninety one. Jay is now limping into the playoffs as he has been through a tough, tough stretch the end of the year, losing six of his last nine, three of his last four. I wish I could say the Tyreek injury. Taking him out for a whole, you know, a lot of that game was the biggest reason, but Jay got his dick kicked in by 36 points to Mike. Mike, of all people. Mike saw huge days from James Dalvin Cook, not to be confused with Dalvin James Cook. Also from Drake London and Garrett Wilson. Little too little too late, uh, but he does have an 11-12 matchup with E, so if he can keep that momentum going, and if Evan continues to refuse to put an active player in his starting lineup, he could ride that train right out of Testicle City. That brings us to E, losing to Tom 87-105. to Evan once again had very little chance as he was projected to lose by 24, lost by 21, and still refused to do a single roster move. Looks like Jay's train out of Testicle City just passed by Evan's high-speed rail card right into it. 
Tom had a fairly strong week all around except for Dicker the kicker and the Falcons D who scored a combined three points. Tom put himself in the middle of the ladder and now can secure himself no balls if he gets a win this week over Rex. Rex lost a slaughtering to John, who has been one of the hottest teams going into the playoffs and scored the most points in the league last week behind the dominant performances from Rashad White, Debo, Bijan, and close your ears, Tits and Nicky Co., David Njoku. To make matters even worse for Rex, it could have been an even larger victory if John swapped his bench quarterback in Stafford and defense in Miami. John's now facing Tits in the matchup to see who gets to play myself in round two of the playoffs. Tits is also pulling into the offs with a nice little limp of his own, losing last two weeks to teams out of the playoff mix. And this last week, in horrendous fashion, as he was the lowest scorer on the week. To be fair, though, Tits did have his daughters choose who to start sit, so it only makes sense he got crushed. Girls don't know ball. Oh, wait, I'm, I'm actually getting word that did not happen. Yikes. It is a good thing Jimmy did what Robbie Gold would have wanted and put an actual kicker in there to be competitive as those nine points ended up being the difference in a week decided by three. It was a fantasy equivalent of a team starting the game with 10 players on the field penalty. Then it gets to climb by the defense. You know, kind of like that. In a beautiful twist of fate, Jimmy will be facing off against Kyle again in the first round of the, of the loser's ladder. Uh, whoever wins this one assures themselves not to get the balls, but the loser puts themselves two losses away from getting it themselves. The last game of the week was Nikki Coe sneaking by Dave in the closest match of the week as he won by less than one point, 100.9 to 99.98. The outcome ended up not really mattering because even with a loss, he would have only slipped one spot and still ended up playing Jay in the next round of the playoffs. Those recaps were brought to you by the Pocket Glock. When your tiny little cement sausages shouldn't be legally allowed to handle a real man's gun, we have the Pocket Glock. This product has been tested on the gnomes from Frozen as well as the diamond miners in Africa to make sure they won't go off unexpectedly. When your gated community and immense life insurance isn't enough to make you and your family feel safe at home, your answer is only one reach away into your little tiny man bag. Not large enough to inflict any kind of mortal wound or even scare a small child. Your only true defense is catching someone so off guard they laugh as they walk to tell their friends. The pocket Glock. Get in your local convenience store today. Directly right next to the Rhino Dick Pills. And back to your regularly scheduled podcast. On to this week. I will be highlighting the playoff games for this week. And then we'll start to add the Losers Ladders games as we get closer to the Balls Alert season. Um, in the NFL, Rams versus Commanders over under highest of the week, 49.5. With the Rams favored by 6.5. Gives an expected outcome of 28 to about 21.5. In my eyes, I see the over-under is you know, fairly spot on, but I think the Washington's recent defensive woes, it could be a blowout quickly. The Commanders are currently the only team worse than the Eagles against fantasy quarterbacks. Stafford has been on a wild hot streak as of late, and I do not see any reason for that to stop. He should be the highest projected player on the week at the position. I don't know what they're doing there. The current expected total of 21 points is a slap in the face, and hopefully his overbearing wife calls into the ESPN Fantasy and gets on the line with the manager. Just like most teams that are bad versus the quarterback position, the commanders are also terrible versus receivers. Cooper Cup and Puka Nakua have also been on a tear of their own recently, as the last two weeks, all three have been huge fantasy contributors, and that was against the Ravens and Browns, who are top-notch defensive units in the NFL. Why they would somehow perform at a lesser rate versus the hapless click commanders is beyond me. 
The other piece for the Rams that will be very involved is Kyron Williams. Since coming back from the injury, he has scored an average of 22.3 points per week over the three weeks with the influence in the passing and running game. To emphasize my point even further, with his potential this week, the commanders are currently ranked middle of the pack first running back position. But since trading away multiple pieces on that end, as well as giving up the actual season, they have been bottom of the barrel versus position, ranking the bottom five in weeks that they played the Patriots, Seahawks, Giants, Cowboys, and Dolphins. Not every one of those teams was running back studs, but they're getting killed by those teams, and that's over the last five weeks, a trend that could definitely carry into the uh, playoff situation here. For the Commanders, injuries and ineptitude have made this clear, projection-wise. Sam Howe continues his mid-level march towards meh. The Rams' D has given up big weeks this season, but that was to the likes of Dak, Jalen Hurts, Lamar Jackson, and Anthony Richardson before his injury. Um, Outside of that, they have taken advantage of lesser O-lines, averaging only one and a half touchdowns and 240 yards per game against. This seems to be the fit the bill here. Uh, Receiving options for the commanders this year has been a tough one to stomach. McLaurin, the de facto number one, has five weeks in double digits and the last week saw a goose egg. The number two has rotated between Curtis Samuel and Jahan Dotson. Dotson has had three weeks of double digit output, but two goose eggs of his own. Samuel has four weeks of double digits, but averages five points per week outside of those. I would honestly say the play here is probably to start Dotson or Samuel, but only if you have a beat on who's going to be featured more heavily. Good luck there, as it's been completely unpredictable all season long. The shining light in this one could very well be the forgotten Antonio Gibson. Brian Robinson left last week's game with an injury, and in a throwaway season, they would not be rushing him back to play through an injury. This opens up the door for Gibson, who has shifted to a return man and a third down back typically. Um, But in this matchup, he's going to be the number one and only running back pretty much. Um, He's been up and down in relevancy this year, but this will be his first true opportunity to be a large contributor on the field and in fantasy. The Rams don't give up a ton to the position, but with Gibson's pass catching ability and the potential for this to be a one-sided affair early, he has some true upside in game script. Now for the playoffs, Jay versus Nikki Coe. Nikki Coe opened this week with a projected 121 to 107 advantage, but due to the performance of Jameer Gibbs on Saturday night, that has gotten significantly tighter as now he has only a four point projected lead over Jay. And as we've seen in the past, Patrick Mahomes and Tyreek Hill can be a potent combo. I did just see, as I'm literally reading this script for today, that Tyreek Hill is out. That changes some shit. I don't know how Jay's going to flip that and how he's going to go. Excited to see how that works out. Um, I'm going to keep reading this as if Tyreek Hill was playing, though, because that's how the fuck I wrote it up. Um, But they could be a potent combo and could easily score higher than the 37.6 combined points. Both sides of this matchup have studs at multiple positions and ton of plus matchups going into the weekend. Well, except Sam Howell, because we know know how that's going to go. Hopefully, it'll be the end of this round of the offs. Nikki Coe won't be kicking himself for keeping Jacoby Myers and Minshew Maney on the bench as they both outscored their starting counterparts by a projected 6-8 to eight points. Uh, there is a lot of crossover in this matchup, as multiple players are playing in Rams versus Commanders, Cardinals versus Niners, Ravens versus Jags, Jets versus Dolphins, and Patriots versus Chiefs. But what I think could be an exciting ending of the week is the wildly old vet Lockett versus the young string bean Devonta on Monday Night Football as Seahawks take on the Eagles to keep their playoff hopes alive. Where this is interesting is that the Eagles still give up the most fantasy points to the receiver position at a little over 30 plus per week, 
but that will be divided amongst Metcalf, Lockett, and Smith and Jigba, meaning that there's a slightly smaller piece of the pie for Lockett. Now, he is typically the number two, but the rookie has been consistently involved, so Lockett's potential is slightly capped there. Smith, on the other hand, is a guaranteed number two in the role in the Eagles' offense, and even though the Seahawks let up seven points less per week to the position, that 23 or so points is only divided between Brown and Smith. As last week, Zacchaeus only got one catch, and that was from the punter, so not really involved in the offense. The other wildcard matchup is between John and Tits. This matchup opened up as a 13-point affair, but after the Chargers literally quit in the middle of an NFL football game, their defense that was projected to score eight actually got them negative four. Tough way to start this week for Tits. Um, The rest of the team that has already played this week, Browning, Montgomery, and Sutton, all held serve, but with the deficit growing, Tits needs some huge weeks from the combination of Pollard, Evans, Kelsey, and Zeke to stay in this. John, on the other hand, did miss an opportunity to grow that expected margin of victory, but Satsy Higgins, who had an incredible effort touchdown last night when he literally spun move his arm into the end zone. It was, it was crazy. This matchup has a lot less crossover between the two teams. The game with the highest potential to swing, the way this ends up, is the Bills versus the boys. John has Josh Allen, and Tits is working with Pollard. Now, as I write this, it is expected to be insane rain, pretty much all day and 50s throughout the whole game. With that being said, it is promising for Knicks teams as the run game typically shines in the rain, and the fact that Josh Allen has been fumbling and bumbling his way all season to 18 turnovers in 13 games, four of which are fumbles. Um, He might not be as productive this week as he's been fantasy-wise most of the year. The other game with a large fantasy implication is the Bucks. Bucks versus the Packers. John has Rashad White and Chris Godwin, while Tits is rocking with future Hall of Famer Mike Evans, who just scored his 10th straight season with 1,000 yards to start his career. That is bonkers. And to think the list of contributing quarterbacks includes these names. Mike could suck a 10-foot dick with that neck. Glennon, Josh, porn is killing our country, McCown, and Blaine, yeah, I played quarterback in the NFL, Gabbert. That is even more of a wild accomplishment. All right, fellas, good luck today. Good luck through the playoffs. Talk to you soon. Love you. Keep rolling.